Hey everyone, welcome to Creepy Inquiries. A podcast dedicated to all things creepy, spoopy, and true crimey. With your hosts, Miss Kevin and Edie, your friendly neighborhood queers. feeling great this week i think it's because it's all ones this week one 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 yeah we're 11 d one as bilbo baggins said in the beginning of fellowship of the ring it's his 11 d first birthday party also frodo's 33rd birthday party but really it's it's bilbo's 11 d first birthday party and we are 11 d one yeah civil rights symbol extraordinaire rosa parks would have been 11 d one 11 d one Absolute piece of shit, Richard Milhouse Nixon oh. would have been 11 one coming up, Richard Milhouse. As would the guy who pardoned Richard Milhouse Nixon, oh. Gerald Ford. Boyds of a fella. Yup, yup, yup. What a uh, list. I mean, Rosa. Also on the list, further down than I would like, mm-hmm. have you guys ever watched the Peter Pan TV special? No. I only saw the Mary Martin version. This is the one with Mary Martin who would have been 11-1. Oh, wonderful. Fuck yes. My father loved everything like old timey. So Mm -hmm. we watched the Mary Martin, Peter Pan all the time. Oh yeah, I had that on VHS. It was great. And Mary Martin was great. Yeah. I will close with actor who had a super long career but is probably most famous for his spoof work in movies like Airplane, Airplane 2, Hot Shots mm-hmm. and Hot Shots Part 2, Father to Jeff and Bo, Lloyd Bridges mm. would have been wonderful Lloyd Bridges. Love Lloyd Bridges. Thank you for your sons. He was great. Thank, Thank you for you your for sons. Your sons. <laughs> Both great, one significantly hotter than the other. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Bo. Bonos. Yeah. Bonos. Bonos. He's lucky to be here. He's happy to be there. Happy to happy yeah. to be part of it. That's not a bad list. It's not it's a not bad a, list. And I've left people off list. of it. Like there's it's a good list. Yeah. And that's good. That sets us up for success. One could only think. Oh yeah. Eleven D one is gonna be a great app. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about the emojis that we had sent to each other. Cause Y'all had some very interesting responses to my spoopy emojis that I sent. Well, what did you send, first of all? There were two separate lines. It is quite hard for me to put it out in emoji form. So I sent the ogre slash goblin emoji and then a green circle. Mm -hmm. Together, I had the addition sign, a monkey slash rabbit slash cat. Those were the emojis that I sent. Yes. And I said, what did I say? Troll, cat, bunny, monkey man. Something to that effect. And I was like, well, you're not <laughs> incorrect. but I'm you... not incorrect. <laughs> but I'm not sense. correct. And 
I texted that one Greek myth lady who lures dudes to her island <laughs> and then turns them into animals. And I look forward to being correct. You look forward to being correct. You're, yes. And then I, for the true crime, I sent two ladies dancing because that's as close as I could get. And then, uh-huh. and then bricks. You, you sent the emoji of the two twins in uh-huh. the cat onesies dancing okay. plus bricks. Okay. So well, I was like, twin I, bricks. Sure. It's just, I needed two ladies. So two ladies in bricks. Gotcha. Do, 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 do. Mm-hmm. I guess twin Tanya Hardings, and I look forward to being. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Before we get into it, though, Edie, how mm-hmm. was your week slash end? Week has been good. We're continuing working on my forearm sleeve tattoos. Oh, yeah. Yes. I got some cool tradish flowers. That's great. We are also recording today on the day of the um, Usher concert, Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> the Usher concert. It's right. It is the halftime show of the Taylor Swift boyfriend's extravaganza. Eleganza. Exactly. And so I want to read to you a post on Truth Social that past and future president Donald John Trump posted today. And it is the thirstiest thing I've ever Is it? I'm not ready for this. It's incredibly thirsty. Oh, God. Okay. I signed and was responsible for the Music Modernization Act for Taylor Swift and all other musical artists. Joe Biden didn't do anything for Taylor and never will. There's no way she could endorse crooked Joe Biden, the worst and most corrupt president in the history of our country, and be disloyal to the man who made her so much money. Besides that... I like her boyfriend, Travis, even though he may be a liberal and probably can't stand me. Okay. This is our reality. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. Number one, you're correct in former and future. Number two, she made her own money. Number three, he wants him. What mm, was yeah. that? He is even so Even though he may hate the- me? He's he wants it's the virility. He wants a little piece of that yeah. Travis and Taylor magic. He wants yeah. a little he piece of it, it, and he is desperate for the Taylor Swift endorsement. Because where, wither Taylor Swift, so go America's white women. Well, sure, but in yes. what way does he and think that's boat. happening? It's not. <laughs> it's not. They have all gotten themselves in such tight wedgies within their community thinking this entire global plot has been devised between those two taylor and travis joe biden and didn't biden. do anything for taylor and never will <laughs> so also what is the what is he claiming that he did for her he the, mus- the, the music act? modernization act for taylor swift and all other musical artists i am not sure what okay. that yeah. legislation is I'll or does. I don't it. know either. Uh, but he whatever that man does doesn't make good things. No, no he's so that thirsty. And then this paired with all the like discourse about which Swiss cheese brain old man is the better Swiss cheese brain old oh man. God, I know. I know. I, uh, it's bleak out there, y'all. 
their foreign policy and their immigration policy, the difference between the two of them is rhetoric. Uh, On paper, they are nearly Nearly identical. identical. Anyway. Anyway, sorry. That that, that was... (laughs) But with the Super Bowl happening, are y'all watching the Super Bowl? I don't give two shits about the Super Bowl. I will get... I'll get the the highlights on. Yeah, I'll. I definitely will. I mean, the halftime highlights is what. Yeah, I I mean, (laughs) by the time this airs, we'll have known everything. We'll have known. So, like, we'll be forever changed because Taylor and Travis. Either it happens or it doesn't. Either way, our world will be different come Wednesday. Yeah. So we're we're recording in the last hours of the the before times. That's right. Proposal? I don't know. So that means we got to make this episode count. count. That mm-hmm. is right. Mm-hmm. We didn't get to 111 for nothing. Not, not That's then. right. That's right. We didn't climb this mountain. Miss, what did you do this week? Well, this week was good. I worked a lot. Pretty standard. But this weekend, I put together a piece of quote-unquote furniture twice. I got yes. this... <laughs> second time's the charm we were on this journey with you you were i group texted about it it's basically like a cubby like a cube cubby organizer that but like they made it cute and made it look like a little dresser so the thingy little cubes have to like push in like a drawer but i made all of like the middle parts backwards None of the drawers could go in. So I had to do it twice. It took about two and That's a half hours. <laughs> it, is. it is. It's a little touch of the dyslexia and just throwing it together. It's not even that I didn't read the directions because there were no directions. See, then that's that's not your fault. That's not your fault. You were left to your own devices, left to the left wolves to in the wilderness on your own, fending for but yourself yeah. to survive. Come on. Come on now. Exactly. Exactly. But I put it together and I did some mild reorganizing in my living room and I put it where it's temporarily going for now. And it looks very nice. And I'm super proud that I didn't immediately give up because that was what I wanted to do so badly. But now I have storage and then I have all of my yarn I can put somewhere instead of on my couch and under my couch and just hiding it from my cats. I can use that bookshelf now for actual books. Oh yeah. Hallelujah. Satan knows you've got a lot of books. Mm -hmm. Oh, I have so many books. I actually am going to go through and get rid of some. I'm very excited. I've got like this spring cleaning fever situation going on. Oh, it's coming up because that spring is coming up. This weather's been great so far. Don't the past few days. No, I hate it. I'm so close to being able to turn my heater fully off. I'm so Uh, close. Yep, I'm so close. Almost there. You can smell the savings from here. Hmm. Kev, speaking of savings, what? Mm. What? What? What deals have you dealt this week? With or without the devil? With. With? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I don't think we have enough time to talk about that. <laughs> but this past week has been really fun. I yeah. have gotten a chance to see a few friends. We had a fun digital brunch again with our friends that live in Boston. Lovely. And I plan on not watching The Superb yeah. Owl. The Superb Owl. Hoot, hoot. 
Uh, I did need to call a roofer. <gasps> Kevy needs a new roof, more than yeah. likely. So, oh. I mean, it's been it's time. I guess it's over ten years. What an ownership! What a super grown up problem to have. That's not that's that's the, the most grown up thing that I think you've I ever know. said. I have like, to call a ever roofer. Recorded on here. Not that you aren't thirty five, and not that you don't own a house, and you aren't married but that just seems so mature of you mature with (laughs) the hard mature yeah yeah to to need a new roof (laughs) i know i know but now is the time the time is nigh and needs must but it is it's such a mature thing to have to process we saw our friend do some stand-up and there were some very amateur burlesque Oh. At that same gig the other night, and just somebody taking for the most part, off. it was fun. <laughs> just somebody getting ready for bed. <laughs> yes. Oh my god! Could you imagine uh, the amount of dollars being thrown on stage then? Oh. Yeah. Being like, all right, just taking my tie off, just unbuttoning Love. my shirt. I can see all that now. Putting in my mouth guard. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where I had a few social interactions and I am here today with a really fun story that I don't think either of you will have heard of. Could be wrong. I am we're gonna say? so excited. I am I just, I'm, I'm kicking back. I'm relaxed. I've got a blanket Chilling around my cool. shoulders. I am ready for stories. But wait, wait, me first. That's right. This is first. Twin Tanya Harding. Twin Tanya Harding. Or I think they were throwing bricks. Somehow bricks throwing were involved. Yeah. In this this parallel universe, the Twin Tanya Hardings bricked the knee of Nancy Kerrigan as opposed to crowbarred it. Yeah. Well, parallel universes might be involved, but not Tanya Harding. Hmm. That's the sequel to I, Tanya. Yeah. Not Tanya. (laughs) Okay, nice. I'm excited. It's not going to be like super fun today, but it is interesting. Okay. Okay. I like the variety. Mm-hmm. On June 22nd, 1954, teenagers Pauline Parker and Juliet Hume lured Pauline's mother, Honora, to Victoria Park in Christchurch, New Zealand. Oh, my and God. And bludgeoned her to death with a brick wrapped in a stocking. I am now disappointed that I didn't get the actual one. <laughs> Was this a case of forbidden love brought to light? Or was it another case of folie adieu? Maybe. Who can say? But Valentine's Day is soon, so I thought we could get a little weird. Oh, uh-huh. this is such a good one. Yeah, this I'm is glad the Valentine's you know Day Day episode. Yeah, I guess it would be. Love is dead, and so is this girl's mom. Rest in peace, <laughs> yes. that girl's mom. <laughs> yes. Sorry I mean, to it that really... Lady isn't a love story per se mm-hmm. i mean it's not not a love story it's not not a love story but it's also not a love story so true kev do you know what this is i don't and i i feel like you did exactly what i did with my emojis you did not include the new zealand flag because that would have given it away exactly yes i did not because my country's flag where this story was i, I feel like it really would have Pointed people in a direction. So, is your Shrek? No, it is not. <laughs> it's okay. Shrek. Yeah, it's the true story of Shrek. I just got it. It's Shrek. 
It's a love story between her and him and Fiona. It is Valentine's <laughs> Day. And the canonical sexual relationship between a donkey and a dragon. <laughs> it's canonical. <laughs> Pauline Parker was born on May 26, 1938 in Christchurch. She had an older sister, Wendy. Her mother ran a boarding house where Pauline, or Paul as she liked to be called, worked most of the time, and her father ran a fish shop. Uh, Pauline suffered from osteomyelitis myelitis, mm-hmm. when she was five, which is a bone marrow infection that she ended up suffering with for most of her adolescence. She ended up with chronic leg pain, which excused her from all physical activities at school throughout high school. She was in the hospital for a long time, and the time away from school made her isolated from her peers, more so than she already was. She was said to be quiet and melancholy and shy, with a permanent angry scowl. Now, Juliet Hume was born in October of 1938 in London, and she moved to Christchurch, New Zealand as a child. Juliet's father, Henry, was a well-known physicist who had helped build the first British hydrogen bomb during World War II, and he was the rector or president of the University of Canterbury in Christchurch. He was very fancy. They were a wealthy family. When Juliet was young, she had tuberculosis and was sent to the Bahamas and South Africa to recover. I think I've been seeing the wrong doctors because I had a serious respiratory issue in November and December, and at no point was it recommended that I go to the Bahamas. It was so like <laughs> a thing at the time. I know. Was, it really, yeah. You know, or like move to the desert. It really was. Desert. Or somewhere yeah. tropical, depending on whether yeah. you needed yeah. more or less moisture in the air. I know. Mm-hmm. Just not at one point was I told to go somewhere nice. Anyway, Juliet's lungs were weakened from the TB and she was excused from all physical activity at school throughout her adolescence. She was described as tall for her age, slender, self-confident, and strikingly attractive. And she spoke with a, quote, beautiful English accent, or she was very posh. That sounds alluring. Yes, she was. So how did these very different girls from very different backgrounds meet? When Juliet's father accepted the position as the head of the University of Canterbury, Juliet transferred into Paul's school, Christ Church Girls High School, a prestigious school with all kinds of old-fashioned rules I don't understand, like no talking in the hallways and everyone had to wear gloves. That sucks. I'm I'm out. I'm out. I don't understand. Like, it's not even like... It's like, okay, you have strict rules and it's supposed to help you, whatever. But like, I don't understand these rules. I think it's a lot of it is rules for rules sake. Just, you is know, that what it is? Just control. to like, is that all it is? I think, I think it's probably a big part of it. I'm not good with rules that um, don't make sense and you can't explain them to me. I just won't follow them. <laughs> I was an annoying child. Paul and Juliet became friends when they both sat out sports and physical education due to their chronic illnesses. So they were the only two who sat out during these times in their grade. So they became quick friends. Uh And like, this is so incredibly relatable. Yeah, absolutely. 
I don't want the chronic illness, obviously, but it's my fucking dream to have a real reason to not have to do gym class because gym class for me, we only had to take it in the ninth grade. Thank God. But like gym class for me was we went to gym sixth period. I think I had it every single day. We would change in the locker room and we would come in, they would take roll and then we would Put on, God, what was it? Good Charlotte on oh, the God. fucking boom box as loud <laughs> as possible. Maryland's and on then we, the Charlotte. And then we had to run laps around the gym as a warm-up. And by the time everyone ran their third lap, I was huffing and dying through my first ass lap. And I fucking hated it. It was a nightmare. The girls both had incredible imaginations and they both had a deep love for opera and movies and began writing their own novels and plays. They would spend all day in the park writing or acting out their writings, just the two of them. And they became so close that they pushed away all their other peers and they did not want or need anyone else. Paul would eventually write a novel called The Donkey's Serenade, And Juliet wrote a book called Beautiful Lady in Blue. They convinced themselves that they were incredible opera singers as well. They had a little touch of the Leopold and Loeb's syndrome where they thought they they weren't, they weren't ubermenches in the sense that they thought they were better than ever. Well, they had a touch of it. They thought they were the best of whatever they were doing. They were the best writers. They were the best singers. They were the smartest people in the room, but it was just, it was a touch of it. It wasn't quite to the level of the Leopold and Lowe. And I feel like it, that, I feel like Paul and Juliet's situation is born out of general social rejection as opposed to Leopold and Loeb who were kind of on top of the world. Well, that's interesting that you say that because for Paul or Pauline, you could say that the social rejection, because she really didn't have any friends. She was sullen. She was melancholy. She didn't really have any friends, but that was not the case for Juliet. When Juliet first started school, Mm -hmm. she was very, she was very confident. People wanted to be her friend and she had friends. She made other friends with other girls, but when she met Paul, They became so close so fast. And that's why I put in there that they rejected their other peers. Really, Mm. when I say they, it's Juliet. It's Juliet. Yeah. It came to the point where they didn't really want to, not just like their own peers, they didn't want to deal with anyone else at all. They convinced themselves that they were incredible opera singers as well, which just like makes me laugh. Florence Foster Jenkins. Jenkins. The dulcet tones of Florence Foster Jenkins. Mm -hmm. My fucking God. She's the best. Let's see. The girls even took on new names when writing to and about each other. Even when speaking on the phone sometimes. Juliet becoming Deborah and Paul becoming Gina. Now, it's spelled Deborah. Deborah. And in one video I watched, they did say Deborah instead of Uh Deborah. I don't really say it too much anymore, but I'm going to say Deborah instead of Deborah. I love that. It's like there was Deborah. Deborah. This is Steph. Oh, like (laughs) Stephanie? No, Stefani. Like Gwen (laughs) Stefani. 
<laughs> on 30 Rock, one of the fake shows that they had was a reality show called MILF Islands. Oh. Um, and there were two contestants, one Deborah and one Deborah. <laughs> <laughs> They fantasized about a future together in Hollywood where they would sell their novels and become like the famous actresses they revered. While both families were initially very happy about the friendship, it didn't take long for it to become very, very intense. Now, throughout the rest of this, I'm going to be reading entries from Pauline's diary. October 8th, 1953. Quote, not that I mind at all. It is so nice to think that Juliet and I could continue our friendship unmolested with no outside threats, end quote. I don't like that, but... <laughs> October 28th, 1953. Told Nicholas this evening that I was no longer very much in love with him because of my imaginary characters. Uh, red oh, flag. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The girls secretly rejected Christianity and created their own religion called the Fourth World which seems like a different version of heaven, but seems to be in a different dimension. I mean, the thing is that rules. The thing that about it is, is that dope. really rules. That's it rules so dope. like when I, when I say it like that, it rules. But hold on. June 14th, 1953, Juliet and I decided the Christian religion had become too much of a farce and we decided to make up one of our own. Cool. The religion had saints who were a group of movie stars and opera singers. There was Ma <laughs> Mario Lanza yep. equals he. Yep. And when they wrote about him, he was referred to as he. James Mason. Was yep. a, he was him. Harry Lime was Harry the Third or it. Hmm. Mel Furrer. Was the angry man or this they? Sui Bjuling was the last one or that. Guy Rolf was King John or his. It's truly like making a religion out of your favorite movie stars or yeah. your favorite boy band. It's very teenagers. teen. It's very, very, mm -hmm. very teen. And yeah. like, you think kids today don't have shrines to fucking Junko yeah, from BTS? Did. You goddamn Wake kidding up. me? Wake up. Wake up, sheeple. <laughs> They're worshiping BTS. I had like three sync posters in one section of my bedroom. I loved them. All right. So on Good Friday, 1953, Paul wrote... Today, Juliet and I found the key to the fourth world. We realize now that we had it in our possession for about six months, but we only realized it on the day of death of Christ. We saw a gateway through the clouds. We sat on the edge of the path and looked down the hill over the bay. The island looked beautiful. The sea was blue. Everything was full of peace and bliss. We then realized we had the key. We now know that we are not genie as we thought. We just had an extra part of our brain which can appreciate the fourth world. Only about 10 people have it. When we die, we will go to the fourth world. But meanwhile, on two days every year, we may use the key to look into that beautiful world, which we may have been lucky enough to be allowed to know of on this day of finding the key to the way through the clouds. What the fuck did that mean? It's dope as shit. None of that makes Like, sense. that's cool as hell. I love it. I think the key is, like, metaphorical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, like, they just... I'm going 10 people. I mean, they were like, mm, I don't know. 10 people. If they were on mushrooms, it would make a lot more sense. 
I see. I when I was a kid, I didn't have an imagination, so none of this makes sense to me. I didn't have like imaginary friends or like I read a lot. I read yeah. a lot, and I could do it that way. But like I didn't have an imagination on my own to think of like things like this. There's such a desire as youths and adolescents. There's such a desire to be special. Yes. Yeah. This other kid I went to school with and I, when we were very young, we just started like spinning these yarns about how really we were from Atlantis. Like that's okay. like our our descent, like our ancestry, you know, like yeah. Italian, that's, Italian. It's actually great. You were Atlantean. Really, it's really I'm Atlantean. And I did not realize the Blavatsky-esque implications of what I was yeah. saying. <laughs> but I mean, neither did Blavatsky. I mean, you were a little kid. I was a little kid. I hadn't read MHB yet. <laughs> but, you know, we, kids want to be special. I thought I was going to be in a girl group and we were going to be famous singers. That's what I was going girls to be. Girls be, girls be, girls be, girl group. No, like that's what I was going to be. We had a name. We had songs. We were terrible. And we were going to like take over the world and be like Lady Sync. Yeah. Yeah. Imagination is at a high level and delusion is at a high level. Connection <laughs> with reality at a low level. Yeah. And then plus you've got this really intense relationship in which these girls forsake all others. Yeah. That heightens it. Yeah. So after they find the fourth world, the relationship amps up even more and they become like obsessed with each other. February 28th, Devorah and I start discussing our quest for him. We now have decided to hurry things up terrifically. In fact, to start now, we had a marvelous time planning the life and the flight and how we will obtain the money and do what we will do. Meaning now they want to go to Hollywood and they were planning on it, but now they're going quick. They want to go now. Yeah. And they're going to need some funds and maybe lack of parents uh, we're gonna figure out how um that's gonna happen yep interesting here yes. is a poem by paul yes. let's just see how that goes fucking lay it on called me. the ones i worship i worship the power of these lovely two with that adoring love known to so few tans indeed a miracle one must feel that two such heavenly creatures are real. Both sets of eyes, though different far, hold many mysteries strange. Impassively, they watch the race of man decay and change. Hatred burning bright in the brown eyes for fuel. Ivy scorn glitters in gray eyes, contemptuous and cruel. Why are men such fools? They will not realize the wisdom that is hidden behind those strange eyes. And these wonderful people are you and I. I mean, that's that's the most intense teen sapphic love poem I've ever read. Is it read. sapphic? I mean, yeah. Is I mean, it yeah. though? I mean, yeah. yeah. Sapphic in 1953. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's literally a crime. And even, oh my God. If you guys seen, there was a tweet from one of those like fucking terrible hardcore right wing accounts called End Wokeness. 
no. talking about the no. new Alexander the Great documentary. And they were like, oh. this new Alexander the Great documentary came out, and within eight minutes, they turned him gay. <laughs> oh, sweet thing. <laughs> it's like, oh, Mama. man. Oh, oh, buddy. Oh, buddy. Dude. Ooh. He's so gay. He's, 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 been, he's been into it. He's, he's been so, done. He's been so done good. doing it. Because I definitely also have thrown the most lavish funeral ever for like my buddy, and then refused to eat, and then died of a broken heart for my for my pals. Who yeah. hasn't? Now, with Paul spending a lot of her time at the Hume house, Miss Hume called her her foster daughter. April twenty third, nineteen fifty three. Mrs. Hume said she wished I was her daughter too. Now, some speculate that all the time that they were spending together, because when they would spend time together at the Hume house, they would stay up till five or seven o'clock in the morning. They didn't sleep. They spent all of their time together. Like they literally couldn't handle the time it would take to sleep, to be apart from each other. Girl. And they, people speculate that the stress that this put on uh, Juliet's body brought the tuberculosis back. May 15th, 1953, Mrs. Hume told me they found out today that Juliet had tuberculosis on one lung. Poor Julietta. It is only now I realize how fond I am of her. I nearly fainted when I heard. I had a terrible job not to cry. It would be wonderful if I could get tuberculosis too. Mm. Yup. <laughs> yup, yup, yup. May 16th. I spent a wretched night. It was a relief to see Juliet looking so well. We agreed it was a great pity I had not tuberculosis too, and it would be wonderful if I could catch it. We would be in the sanatorium together and we would be able to write a lot. We have decided we are the most incredible optimists. <laughs> so I weird. Mean, I, I don't mean, get, like, the last sentence, like, like the rest of it I get, optimism. whatever. The last sentence is just so weird. <laughs> well, it's, it, to them, I guess, optimistic to, them, to wish... For that they could always be together. To have the exact same things happen to <laughs> both of them at the same <laughs> time. So that they, they could, could have shared, fully shared experience. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fully shared experience. Hey. <laughs> but like it's it's so I have such a soft spot for this story as somebody who was so do a I. very weird yes. at least partially sapphic child <laughs> that just was yeah. i mean i have a soft spot for this as someone who had like very intense friendships i didn't i wasn't someone who had a lot of friends i had a like kevin knows i had a small group mm -hmm. of friends and we were all pretty intense people mm -hmm. we were all very very close and I mean, it never crossed the line beyond that, but we were closer than a lot of people's friends that I knew. A lot of us were figuring out our sexuality and we were doing things, you know, we were working on things like that. So I understand having intense relationships and like maybe not understanding the intensity of that yeah. and not understanding like the reasons behind that. Because I had a crush on a girl in high school and I did not know that I had a crush on a girl in high school. And we were Fair. very, yeah. and it was 
a very intense. And then I realized like a little while and I was like, Oh, okay. I have a crush on her. <laughs> and then, um, I was like, Oh, that makes a lot more sense. So who knows? Maybe this was sapphic and maybe they didn't know. And maybe they did. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But the, the, the yearning for, it's definite Deep yearning. Connection. It's definite yearning, if nothing yeah. else. Yeah, and the like, idea that that this is the only person who could possibly understand the the deep magnitude of of yes. who I am. <laughs> and you're going to see that that's true. I think it's something that's more common in people than folks might want to admit about themselves. Yes, it's not saying yeah. that the Stuff that that happens in the story is good or anything, but there's a lot to unpack with the feelings and relationships in this story that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why I wanted to do it or why I was drawn to it when I was looking at it, because it's not just like two best friends got together and murdered one of their mothers. It's more than no, that. it's so yeah. it's so in depth and it's one of yeah. those is this really one of those stories that you understand a little bit about everybody involved. Mm-hmm. You know, you can mm-hmm. get perspective like you can kind of Yeah, it's 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 one of those stories that really starts to buck the idea of there being a binary between vi- yes. victim and offender and never the mm-hmm. twain shall meet. And, right. and those who commit acts that are bad are exclusively bad people. Right. Right. So after June of 1953, Juliet is sent away to be treated for her tuberculosis. And Paul's mental health took a nosedive, including, this is just a trigger warning, bulimia at the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a trigger warning for the next little bit. November 2nd, 1953. Today I felt thoroughly, utterly, and completely depressed. I was in one of those moods in which committing suicide sounds heavenly. December 20th, 1953. Quote, mother woke me this morning and started lecturing me before I was properly awake, which I thought was somewhat unfair. She was, she has brought up the worst possible threat now. She said that if my health did not improve, I could never see the humans again. So that's a one way to deal with someone's mental health. Ooh, <laughs> nice yeah, yeah. yeah, that's rough. That's rough. I mean, on the one hand, from the mom's perspective, yeah, you want to. I can, I can see it. The, the especially urge back to then. hold the most important thing to them, kind of hostage to get mm-hmm, them to mm-hmm. do something that like gets them in compliance with your wants. Right. I real, I get that urge, but then I also can, yeah. like, not great. Not, not great. Good. Mm-hmm. Not great. She needs like support and understanding, yeah, and not this, like threats. And there, I feel like also there's no way that the mom that the mom knew that her kid was this on the brink. No, but she was really struggling with her weight. She had gone like under ninety pounds oh, at this geez. point. Oh wow! And she was she was not like a a big girl to begin with. Like she was a small stature girl we'll get into that in a minute and whatever either she got better or the threat worked i don't know but on january 1st 1954 she writes my new year resolution is a far more selfish one than last year so there's more probability of my keeping it 
it is to make my motto, quote, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow. You may be dead. So I don't oh, know if that's okay. good or bad. <laughs> but it's it's that teen intensity. It's, it's that, intense. It's, it's just got to be intense. Yeah. And then January 28th, she mentions Juliet today. She mm-hmm. says, we procured bunches of grapes from the hothouse. We discussed various amusing topics. If we were prostitutes, how much would we charge for the various bods? <gasps> Scandalous. February 13th, 1954. As usual, I woke at five and managed to write a considerable amount. I felt depressed at the thought of the day. There seemed to be no possibility of mother relenting and allowing me to go to Juliet's house. Hmm. This afternoon, mother told me I could not go to Ilham again until I was eight stone and more cheerful. As I am now seven stone, there's little hope. Also, one cannot help recalling that she was the same way over Nicholas. She said I could not see him again until my behavior improved. And when it did, she concluded it was it was not having his influence that caused it. She is most unreasonable. I also overheard her making insulting remarks about Mrs. Hume while I was ringing this afternoon. I was livid. Hmm. I am very glad because the Humes sympathize with me, and it is nice to feel that adults realize that mo- what mother is. Dr. Hume is going to do something about it, I think. Why could not mother die? Dozens of people are dying all the time, thousands. So why not mother and father too? Life is very hard, she wrote unironically. Oh, that's intense, especially like writing that during that yes. time period too. Yes. I mean, at any time period, but. I mean, at any time period. Like, all of it was just normal teenager stuff until does, why could not mother die? Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. And, I mean, even that is something that. That that is a normal, it's a a a teenager thought. Yes. It's It's within the realm of, of, like, common possibility of thinking extreme thoughts. It was in the spring of 1954 that the unthinkable happened and the girls were faced with a permanent separation. From HuffPost.com, Henry Hume had resigned from his position at Canterbury University and was returning to England. He and Hilda Hume were getting divorced. It was decided that Juliet, who had been ill with tuberculosis the previous year, would be sent to stay with Henry's sister in South Africa, where the climate would be beneficial to her health. Both the Humes encouraged the girls to believe that Pauline would be allowed to accompany Juliet to South Africa if her mother would permit it. Pauline (laughs) knew that her mother would never allow this. It seemed clear that her mother was the only obstacle to her future happiness. And then about 10 days later, Juliet found out her mother was having a long-term affair with a man (gasps) named Mr. Perry and was told that her father knew about it, which was why they were getting a divorce. And let's see, we're going to have a bunch of journal entries coming up, but uh, we're, we're almost through. <laughs> April 28th, 1954. I feel rather tired today, but mother went out this afternoon, so Deborah and I bathed for some time. However, I felt thoroughly depressed afterwards and even quite seriously considered committing suicide. Life seemed so much not worth living and death such an easy way out. Anger against mother boiled up inside me as she is the one who is the main obstacles in my path. Suddenly a means of ridding myself of this obstacle occurred to me. If she were to die, dot, 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 I spent the evening writing and managed to finish my chapter. 
Yeah. Wow. When you write an ellipses, you yep. know you mean business. Yep. In yeah. your own journal, in your own journal, yeah. in your own <laughs> journal. Who are you writing that for? Yeah, you're writing it for yourself. To wink, what? wink, nudge, Suspense? nudge in your own right? self. April 29th. I did not tell Deborah my plans for removing mother. I have made no definite plans yet, as the last fate I wish to meet is one in Borstal. I'm trying to think of some way. I do not want to go to too much trouble, but I want it to appear either natural or an accidental death. Mm. April 13th, 1954. I told Deborah of my intentions, and she is rather worried but does not disagree violently. It is now 10.30. May 2nd. <laughs> we rose about 10. We sat in the park and discussed the sods and who we should leave alive if we could rule the world. May 6th. We are feeling gloriously happy, and we love our new fiancés so much. That's the whole I entry. I don't think they got engaged no uh, i don't think they did either no, but neither of them like were a, dating anyone i think they might be right. having thought experiments about like mario lanza and stuff like that that's what Probably. i might june 11th after seeing a movie we enacted how each saint would make love in bed only doing the first seven as it was th- seven thirty a.m by the end we felt exhausted and very satisfied well damn yeah that's um Look, That's the girl I was sapphic. obsessed with in middle school was herself obsessed with Buffy fan fiction in which mm. Buffy and mm-hmm. Spike got mm-hmm. it on. I was not mm. into that stuff, but if she wanted to talk to me, and, that, and that's the degree of closeness that was allowed, yeah, who boy, yeah, yeah. who boy, yeah. Yeah. I would be exhausted and satisfied myself. <laughs> yeah. June 12th, we came to bed quite early and spent the night very hectically. We went to sleep after getting almost through. We had simply marvelous time and we are definitely mad, but very pleasingly so. June 13th, it was wonderful, heavenly, beautiful, ours. We felt very satisfied indeed. We have now learned the peace of the thing called bliss and the joy of the thing called sin. June 19th. We practically finished our books today, and our main idea for the day was to. Mo- they she spells it moida, like you would uh-huh. say moida, like moida, my mom. And I looked it up. Like moida is an actual word. It means to like bother or annoy. So I was like, wait, are they actually talking about murder here? But hmm. she is. And our main idea for the day was to moida mother. This notion is not a new one, but this time a definite plan in which we intend to carry out. We have worked it out carefully, and are both thrilled by the idea. Naturally, we feel a trifle nervous, but the pleasure of anticipation is great. I shall not write the plan down here as I shall write it up when we carry it out, I hope. We, we both spent the night last night and the one before having a simply wonderful time in every possible way. We also planned a few odd pictures and recast most of the Saints' Christmas. We burnt all of our film books this evening. June 20th. I tidied the room and messed about a little. Afterwards, we discussed our plans for mortaring mother and made them a little clearer. Peculiar, I can't say this word, peculiarly enough, I have no qualms of conscience, or is it peculiar? We are so mad. June 21st. I rose late and helped mother vigorously this morning. Deborah rang and we decided to use a brick and a stocking rather than a sandbag. We discussed moiter fully. I feel very keyed up as though we were planning a surprise party. 
Mother has fallen in with everything beautifully, and the happy event is to take place tomorrow afternoon. So the next time I write in this diary, Mother will be dead. How odd, yet how pleasing. I have discussed various odd saints with her today, as I thought it would be interesting to have her opinion. She loathes that and it. I washed my hair this afternoon, and I came to bed at a quarter to nine. Wow. And weren't they, like, talking about how they were going to try and make it look like an accident, but now they're just like, fuck it. Put a brick in a stocking. We're going to do it that <laughs> oh, way. Oh, they try to, they quote unquote, try to make it look like an accident. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. June 22nd. I'm writing a little of this up in the morning before the death. I felt very excited and the night before Christmas-ish last night. I did not have pleasant dreams, though. I'm about to rise. Wow, that's that's so revealing and so complex. Like the yeah, the blend of excitement in her waking hours, and then her subconscious just alerting her to kind of more of the reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't wrap my head around it to be honest. I'm having a hard time. Like she seems so crystal clear in what she wants. I think yes, but it's also not real to her no it's not real i think it's still i don't think she truly like it's so clear in the way that her religion quote unquote the religion is clear it's clear to her in the way that like she is a great opera singer right right I don't know. It just, it seems so easy that she's clearly missing something. Like it seems so, I I don't even know how to verbalize it. In all adolescence, teenagers through like 25 years old, I'm sure that I've talked about brain chemistry on the podcast before, but you've got (laughs) at this time in your brain's development, your propensity to engage in risky behavior is um like you know the gas pedal that's developing very quickly however what you don't yet have is the part of your brain that appreciates uh consequences and is that what reality of situations i think that's a part of what you're missing i'm not saying that and I'm not saying that there's no such thing as culpability in any sense whenever adolescents or young adults you know, engage right. in these behaviors, but it is certainly part of Less the than. equation that we yeah. should look at, especially when we're talking about rehabilitative capacity for people who commit unlawful or violent acts at this stage in their brain development. Yeah. You know, there, there are things that people do tend to grow out of and this kind of extreme recklessness that can happen in young adults extreme susceptibility of peer pressure is another thing yeah going along with others is much more likely around this time yeah that's fair yeah that's how our brains are are developing well okay so we're back to the beginning on june 22nd 1954 paul and juliet invited pauline's mother out for a walk in the park first they stop at the tea house for some tea And then they go for a long walk on the trails. The girls lead Honora to a spot on the trail that they had previously picked out and had left a pink stone charm on the path. 
When Honora okay. bent down to pick up the charm, Paul pulled out half a brick wrapped in a stocking, and the two took turns bludgeoning her over 20 times. Wow. Yeah. Doink. When Honora was dead, they rolled her body in a ditch to make it look like she fell and hit her head, and the girls <laughs> dropped the brick nearby on the trail and ran back to the tea shop screaming for help covered in blood. They told... The owner, Kenneth Ritchie, that she had fallen and hit her head and wasn't responding. He went, followed the trail and found her body and immediately thought that there was no way she hit her head and called the police. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's 20 That was a very weak 20, uh, argument for the girl. Like yeah. one time. You hit her one time. Yeah. And she, you could say she hit her head. Back at the tea shop, all the girls would say was that they wanted to go home. I want to go home. And then they called Juliet's dad, and he was on his way, but he was taking a long time. So the girls were just like, where's my dad? Why is he taking so long? I just want to go home. Eventually, he shows up and takes the girls home. However, it was swiftly determined at the scene that Honora's death was not an accident when the brick was very quickly found nearby, in yeah. addition to the obvious defensive wounds suffered by the victim. And as evidence mounted, the both girls were charged with murder. Shock of shocks. Yeah. It was pretty, pretty obvious. The prosecution got their hands on the girls' diaries, particularly interested in Pauline's, and speculated that the girls were lesbians, a mental illness and crime at the time, which also details premeditation to kill Honora. The girls were infamously described as, quote, dirty-minded little girls. Meanwhile, the defense had a problem. Both girls had pled not guilty, but they had both confessed. So the only option they had was insanity. Quote, Mm -hmm. well, the problem was... They both confessed to it, and the only defense we had was insanity. But how could we find the two of them insane? And then this chap, Reginald Medlicott, comes along and has the wonderful idea that they could have folly adieu. So we went with that. Quote, they had been... Yeah. Had they been found not guilty by reason of insanity, the chances are they would have been incarcerated indefinitely in a psychiatric hospital. And one of the most common treatments at the time for homosexuality was a prefrontal lobotomy. This was considered the best future subject of the pod Mm -hmm. lobotomy. This was considered the best choice for the defense, not a quick, not a guilty verdict that allowed them to serve their time and move on with their lives. Fucking bleak. Yeah. Super bleak, super, super bleak. Yeah. This is one of those situations. People. Yeah. Just put me in jail, please. Yeah, when we hear then, including to this day, there's, I think, a misconception about what it means to be found not guilty by reason of insanity or Mm -hmm. us also known not criminally responsible. Yes, it depends on a few things. And it's being in a psychiatric hospital is Is not necessarily better. And you can be there indefinitely. Mm -hmm. You can be there forever. You can be there for a term, you can be there indefinitely, or you can be there until you are quote-unquote made not sane. What am I trying to say? Made um, criminally responsible. Like, if you are insane at the time, you can become through treatment. That's, yeah, there's a there's a lot. Well, there's that's 
I feel like that part, that last bit is more competence yes, that's than criminal right. responsibility. You're right. You're Those right. are two separate right. things. But if you're, you're found correct. not criminally responsible because of a mental ailment, and if that mental ailment is something that will persist, like paranoid schizophrenia, for example, right? it's very possible that you could be incarcerated in a mental institution much longer than you mm-hmm. would be in prison for the same thing. It's a risk. The idea, this this popular idea that pleading insanity is an easy way out is uh, it's apocryphal, which is yeah. a fancy word for bullshit. And I think this is a really good case illustrating that. Yeah, it's not rooted in fact or reality. Right. No, and right. in this case, for first-degree murder, they're looking at the death penalty if they were adults, but they yes. weren't. They were charged they as weren't. minors. So the jury took two and a half hours to reach the guilty verdict, and after Oof. the guilty verdict was read, it was reported that, quote, Parker looked across at Hume and whispered something, and they both smiled. Now, because they were minors... That meant something in New Zealand in 1954. They were too young for the death penalty, which was the normal sentence for first-degree murder. And the two were sentenced to five years' incarceration in different prisons. After prison, they were both released after the full five years. They were given new identities, and almost nothing was known about them until 1994. Mm -hmm. When... When Heavenly Creatures, the movie, one of by Peter, Peter Jackson's, Jackson's finest works. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. It's got Melanie Linsky as Pauline and, and Kate yes. Winslet in her first yes. film role as Julia. Yeah. It's absolutely now, I knew incredible. about that movie. I didn't, I didn't know it was based off a real story or, yeah. or this particular story. It's incredible. Yeah. Peter Jackson was the exact right director to do it because he, he illustrates in his filmmaking the um, – the kind of fourth worlds. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was reading about. Yeah. Like he really did their relationship and like their imaginatory world really well. Yeah. Mm. It's really fucking cool. I haven't seen the movie in years, but it's one of those movies that um, sits with you for a long time. Huh. Yeah. And the most interesting thing that came from that movie was Juliet's new identity. Her name is Anne Perry. And it turns out she was a best-selling historical detective novelist who sold over 26 million copies of her novels. And up that until, that, up. See, up until cool. that point, nobody knew shit about who Anne Perry was. <laughs> well, then that worked. The- <laughs> and I, mean, I don't think it hurt her career that much. <laughs> I can't imagine that it did. And also, uh-uh. like, it's it does kind of make me happy that after all of this yeah. that she was able to do the thing mm-hmm. that she really wanted to do which was right that's what she ended up mm. that's right and pauline she did die last year uh not pauline um Ju- juliet and uh, and perry. perry died last year at the age of 84 as far oh, as wow. i can tell pauline whose identity we don't know lives in england under her new identity she is a recluse and a devout roman catholic I think she teaches horseback lessons or something. How do we know all that about her, though? Um, her sister, I think, when the movie came out, gave an interview on her ah. behalf or something. But yeah, one of the main things that there is a documentary about this from 2010. And one of the main things 
um, some of the people talked about was the impact on female relationship friendships that this had and how mothers and teachers and schools were so scared of girls being close and having close relationships that they warned them of becoming lesbians and how girls bullied bullied each other about how if you were too close with your friends you were called a lesbian and how uh, the number of institutionalized women for lesbianism went up and yeah. persisted through like the seventies. And it was, it's like the fear of being called a lesbian was so high at this time because of this case and how it had kind of like a bigger effect. Cause the only, cause while it was illegal, the homosexuality laws were really only for men at the time. Yeah. And how the it idea kind of that changed. women had sexuality yeah. at all was kind of something yeah. that, uh, was, it was too weird and gross to even comprehend. Yes. Couldn't even go for it. So it had like a huge impact, like laws were changed in some places to include female homosexuality Teachers were told to like look out for female friendships oh that were too God. close because watch out, mothers are coming for you until, yeah. yeah. Damn. Damn. Yeah. Of course. Of fucking course. So there was like a little mini homophobic hysteria that hmm. arose yeah. out of this. So I think that almost nobody you can tell in the documentary like all of their peers who were peers from the school nobody had ever heard the word lesbian until the trial like they had heard the word homosexual but nobody Mm -hmm. had ever equated that to women they could have absolutely had a sexual relationship and they could have absolutely been lesbians but there's also a chance that given the time and place they and their age, they could have not understood those feelings if they existed. What we do know is that they were very intense. They were incredibly devoted to each other and they absolutely loved each other. Yeah. That entry about them using these like famous men as as conduits to kind of talking about sex with these kind of unattainable men with each other all night. I think that really, that kind of encapsulates it for me. Yeah. What a story. What a story. I really feel for, um, for Pauline's mother as well. Like I think that she had, there was such limited understanding of, of mental health. It seems like she knew that there was some serious stuff, going on and was doing what she could to what she thought was right yeah doing what she could certainly did not deserve to be um bricked in the head 20 times and thrown down a ditch absolutely not so oh what a story that is yeah parker hume murder well if if everyone is cool shall we continue on to the spoof yes Yes, I look forward to being correct about my guess. You do look forward to it. And I I, 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 I guess I have to say, you're not correct. Well, <gasps> damn. I'm sorry. But you were so... It's but two so swings and two misses today. The confidence is good. Good for you. 
Well, I guess I'll listen to the story anyway, Kev. We will. We will be listening to it. And we're going to have fun. It's just a fun story today. It's it's just a little creature feature. I was thinking about if we had any possible TTT as I was listening to Mrs. Story. And we do a slight bit. Okay. Just a slight bit. That's all you need. A little dabble, do you? Yeah. I think it was the part about an imaginary friend I think you were talking about. Yeah, she had a whole imaginary life. That whole thing and the whole yeah. fourth world and yeah. and stuff like that. So, yeah, keep that in the back of your head. We'll come upon it. So I had planned on possibly doing a Valentine's theme spoop, but uh, Love the more I dead. thought about it, the more I was like, no, maybe it, it, it would a, a, a themed episode not have good read list and value, but also Love is Dead. So I didn't want to do Valentine's <laughs> Day. That's right. Sorry to Kevin's husband, but love is dead. I mean, big library. Sorry, big library. Love is dead. (laughs) I didn't make the rules. I just enforced them. She's the Valentine's law. (laughs) It's the Valentine's executioner. So instead, we're doing a non-Valentine's boop by way of the Emerald Isle, my motherland, Ireland. Ireland. Uh And we've visited Ireland a few times on the pod. Miss, you talked about goblins, I think, in I did. episode 37. I did, We yeah. also, you, you gave us Grania McNally in mm-hmm. 75. And then I talked about the Banshee Queen, Kleena, in episode 81. And right? so, yeah, we've, we've done this. So for this trip, we're going to be learning about a centuries-old miniature mischief-making miscreants known as pukas. I, I have, I think I've heard of him. You think well, so? I've heard of their, ne- I know their necklaces. I know their necklaces <laughs> from the early 2000s. I know, I, I'm a fan of the shells. Yes. I, there is something <laughs> about shells. I'm getting a tickle, but I'm not getting anything more than a tickle. So I'm going to reserve whether or not I've heard of Mama, them. Mama, that's called a stroke. You're, you're stroking. Yeah. My brain is tickling. Well, you know. Do you smell I've toast? Miss, do you smell toast? Hmm. <laughs> No, no toast. Okay. No toast. Not. Okay, good. No toast. Well, a puka, which has many variations on how it's spelled. This one, I'm going to be titling it with the P U with an accent mark C A, puka. P U C A. Got it. Mm-hmm. But all told, a puka is a small shape shifting creature whose fave thing is to just kind of pester humans. <laughs> They're not, I love they're not malevolent by any stretch. They're not malevolent creatures, but rather they're, they're kind of naughty. Oh. And, oh, Puka, you've been naughty. 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 Okay. Relatively harmless chaos every now and then. Why not? All right. In its natural form, a Puka is short, and it personally, my personal assessment of it, it looks like it's a combination between a monkey, a cat, and a rabbit. Okay. Hence, the okay. And they can have either white fur, but most of the time they are described with having black or dark brown fur. And as shapeshifters, they can morph into anything from like cute to humanoid to terrifying forms, but generally they prefer to take on the appearance of animals. Much the types that you would see in the Irish countryside. You got your horses, your rabbits, foxes, ravens, wolves, and dogs. So they they really would take any form that would get their puka shells jingling, you know? Puka-ing. 
And in Irish legend, pukas can speak to humans, and that's oh. unusual. It's it different. It's unusual. It's nice. It's, it's unusual, yes. <laughs> so they knew the languages of the island's residents for millennia, mm-hmm. and with that ability... They were known to use them in a couple of ways. One, in their benevolent times, they would like to sit along pathways or roadways or rivers and shout out to passengers or humans to warn them about malevolent creatures that would have been up ahead on their journey. So that was just nice. They were just looking out and be like, oh, just in case you know, you got an ogre up there or what have you. Watch your ass. There's vampires. (laughs) Seamus, look out. There's a <laughs> troll ahead. <laughs> you have the troll. You have to pay the toll troll. You've got to pay the troll toll to get into that boy's, See that hole. boy's hole. Mm-hmm. So they would be benevolent like that. Sometimes they would be mischievous where their main thing that they like to do, they will offer to give a human, whether it's an adult or a child, a fun piggyback ride. They love to do that, but it's not no. just like a piggyback ride. No. If the human obliges and they climb aboard, the puka is taking them for like a Sonic the Hedgehog style zoom about, which oh, is very yes. terrifying for the human. But Sounds it's, you know, terrifying. But like, do they collect a bunch of rings? No, that's not even <laughs> like part of it. Well, you then think. Fuck, not worth it. No, it, it's just to give the humans a scare. They, they get tickled by that. But they usually, more times than not, would deposit the human back in the exact spot that they picked them up at. So that's nice. It's not like they threw okay. them across the island. Okay. See, that would be funnier, though. But it, it, that would be chaos, yeah. for sure. That is chaos. And so, yeah, the, the humans would not be harmed. Just a little light joshing every now and then. That's what they loved to do. Just light joshing? Oh, yeah, you know. And even with that kind of mischief streak about them, the Irish tended to look towards the pukas as something to be kind of respected over something that needed to be feared. They used the puka as a way to teach young children to not eat overripe berries because they would tell the kids they were, <laughs> I love this, they were fairy blasted. <laughs> <laughs> Do not eat those berries. Girl, when I tell you what I did over the weekend, when I say I got fairy blasted, who? When my when I say my berries got finger. (laughs) 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 I just disturbed two sleeping cats. You better keep it in. (laughs) Oh, finger those overripe berries. (laughs) Oh, and and. There's a lot of agrarian culture, obviously, back in them days. Mm-hmm. And during harvest, during Samhain, a lot of them would leave a little part of their fields unharvested, and that would be known as the puka share. It was their way of saying thank you. It was their way of respecting them because of the benevolent nature that they would sometimes give to them. Still right. to this day is a countryside practice. Oh, that's cute. Mm-hmm. For the people that took the puka up on its offer to take a ride on their backs, there was at least one confirmed way that you could avoid having the scare of your life and having the puka stop what it's doing. Finger their berries. Oh, uh, yes, yes. The only true way was if you were wearing spurs. The pukas did not like the spurs, 
Oh, no. The obvious first idea of why is because it would hurt them if they were on the like yeah. wait. But there was also a, a supernatural belief for the Irish that cold iron would help ward away the supernatural. So that also may have had something to do with the spur idea, but we shall never know. Okay. Being a very skilled shapeshifter, it still had some troubles making the transitions. Often when they would shift into the human, it would still bear some animal parts, like some ears left over uh, or some Becoming horns. little cat boys and cat girls. Ooh, the weebs mm-hmm. are so excited about it. <laughs> These anime yeah. dorks are turgid. Them the what? The weebs? Weebs. Weeaboos. Oh, okay. Mm. White dudes who are obsessed with anime to the extent that they assume that all of Japanese culture is like anime, which it is not. Uh, uh, yes. I it's see. cool to be like fans of things, but if you're taking it to like a weird as your personality. It's not great. Like if you like if you're gonna have a cat girl body pillow, you've probably gone too far. Yeah. Cool. But a puka could be that cat girl. Yeah. It could. It could one day and then just shapeshift into something else. There are a few notable instances throughout history where the puka has been mentioned. Most famously, there was a dude in the 1500s. His name was William William Shakespeare. I don't remember how to say his name. It's just too hard. Billy Shakes? We're talking talking Billy Shakes? We're talking Billy Shakes. Yeah, Billy Shakes. He he had this little play he kind of just farted out in the year 1595 known as (laughs) A Midsummer's Night Dream. Oh, I've never heard of it. No. I don't think you have. And this very unfamous piece of stage work. There was a character in there by the name of mm, Puck. Have you ever heard of her? Mm -hmm. Never heard Mm -hmm. of her? Puck Mm -hmm. itself was Mm -hmm. a variation of Puka. (gasps) You're blowing my mind, Frank. Because Puck's character was a mischievous fairy-like thing. Absolutely blowing my fucking mind. And you want to want to know what how my mind was blown doing some research on this too? So I was looking up some pictures of Puck to use for some of the ads for this episode. And yeah. I did not know that there was a 1999 version of A Midsummer's Night Dream, and it stars one Mr. Stanley Tucci as Puck. So oh. I found oh. oh, I didn't know that. Oh. I didn't either. Oh, I hope it wasn't. 1999 was right in that unsweet spot where yeah. like Shakespeare productions were like, where everything was converse. Listen, you say what you want, but don't you come for the Romeo and Juliet. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. I will not come for it. I am of the opinion that Baz Luhrmann's only good movie is Strictly Ballroom, but Romeo plus Juliet is. Yes. It's up there. And the picture of Stanley Tucci Puck, it's very much a satyr look. It's very much Mr. Tumnus look. I'm I'm doodling it right now. Yeah, it is giving. Hello. Wait, yes, that's that movie. It's in the movie. Yes. <laughs> yes. In the movie. I thought Correct. it was a stage performance. I thought it was a friggin' because this one also has oh, Michelle, Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer's Titania. Kevin Klein is bottom. Kevin Klein's bottom. Oh, it's got 
Callista Flockhart, Ooh. Rupert Everett. That's right. So that is a movie, and that is where this is Stanley a good Tucci one. is book. And a and real a Christian Puka. Bale and Dominic <laughs> West. <laughs> and I'm so, sorry. yeah, there is a Puka present I in that. thought this entire time I was like, <laughs> oh, he did like a stage, like a West End or like a Broadway run. Yep. But no, it's a movie. And additionally, in 1944, there was a stage play that was made into a 1950 film, which stars Jimmy Stewart called Harvey, a relatively well-known film. And it is a story about a man who is suspected of having some type of mental issue because he is referring to an imaginary friend. I've got a big invisible rabbit friend named Harvey. Exactly. A six foot tall rabbit that he would Mm. named Harvey that he would like to drink at bars with. But he describes Harvey as a puka. It's my friend Harvey. Wow. It's Harvey. He's a puka. He's a puka. That's so funny. That's so good. I did not know that Harvey had had no idea. Yeah. And so maybe, dear listener, you can spend this Valentine's Day celebrating with your partner the way a puka would. Take them on a piggyback ride throughout the house. You can climb the tree in your front yard, too, and just start talking to them. Be like, hey, you want a piggyback ride? (laughs) All of those would be better than, you know, buying them some flowers or some chocolates or what have you. So just act like a puka because the possibilities for your puka parties are plentiful. Plosives. Puka parties. That's right. Listen to Kev, friends. Go out there this weekend. Fuck a puka. Puka. Puka party. Poke a puka, get poked by a puka. Okay. Ooh. Rub fronts with a puka. Miss, if people actually wanted to tell us which side of a puka that they rubbed on, Uh uh, where can they? Please tell us at creepyinquiriespod at gmail.com or on Instagram at creepyinquiriespod. If you're interested in our sources for these lovely tales today, please go to creepyinquiriespod.com. And then if you've got a minute, head over to wherever you're listening to us right now and give us a cute little rate and review. We really appreciate it. Five stars or... I will shapeshift into a six foot tall invisible rabbit and follow you everywhere you go. And no one will believe you. Right. (laughs) Unless you're Donnie Darko. He'll probably believe you. He'll definitely believe you. Listener, thank you so much for joining us on our 111st episode, the Jimmy Hoppa aged episode. Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? He's behind you. And until next time, under the bed. Good. He's a puka. <laughs> <laughs>